Okay, welcome back uh, to chapter 7 of And Then There Were None. So, as we left off, um, Mrs. Rogers was the next one to die. So, here we are with some great suspects. We have now Dr. Armstrong, who seems to be in the limelight with his medical expertise and his apparent disdain for Emily Brent, or at least in his dream. So keep that in mind. Make sure you have your character lists and everything and you're keeping track. So um, think about this. Think about, you know, what what's happened, what's changed, and who you think is next, and of course who you think the killer is. Okay, so we are going on with Chapter 7, and let's see what happens now. So we are going to discuss a little bit more about what a red herring is as well. So keep that in mind. All right. And keep the poem close by because it has a lot to do with that. Okay. So let's go into chapter seven and see what happens. Chapter seven. After breakfast, Emily Brent had suggested to Vera Claythorne that they should walk to the summit again and watch for the boat. Vera had acquiesced. The wind had freshened. Small white crests were appearing on the sea. There were no fishing boats out, no sign of the motorboat. The actual village of Sticklehaven could not be seen, only the hill above it. A jutting out cliff of red rock concealed the actual little bay. Emily Brent said, the man who brought us out yesterday seemed a dependable sort of person. It is really very odd that he should be so late this morning. Vera did not answer. She was fighting down a rising feeling of panic. She said to herself angrily, You must keep cool. This isn't like you. You've always had excellent nerves. Aloud, she said after a minute or two, I wish he would come. I, I want to get away. Emily Brent said dryly, I've no doubt we all do. Vera said, it's all so extraordinary. There seems no, no meaning in it all. The elderly woman beside her said briskly, I'm very annoyed with myself for being so easily taken in. Really, that letter is absurd when one comes to examine it. But I had no doubts at the time, none at all. Vera murmured mechanically, I suppose not. One takes things for granted too much, said Emily Brent. Vera drew a deep, shuddering breath. She said, Do you really think what you said at breakfast? Be a little more precise, my dear. To what in particular are you referring? Vera said in a low voice, Do you really think that Rogers and his wife did away with that old lady? Emily Brent gazed thoughtfully out to sea. Then she said, Personally, I am quite sure of it. What do you think? I don't know what to think. Emily Brent said, Everything goes to support the idea. The way the woman fainted. And the man dropped the coffee tray, remember? Then the way he spoke about it, it didn't ring true. Oh yes, I'm afraid they did it. Vera said, the way she looked, scared of her own shadow. I've never seen a woman look so frightened. She must have always been haunted by it. Miss Brent murmured, I remember a text that hung in my nursery as a child. 
Be sure thy sin will find thee out. It's very true, that. Be sure thy sin will find thee out. Vera scrambled to her feet. She said, but Miss Brent, Miss Brent, in that case. Yes, my dear. The others. What about the others? I don't quite understand you. All the other accusations, they, they weren't true. But if it's true about the Rogerses... She stopped, unable to make her chaotic thought clear. Emily Brent's brow, which had been frowning perplexedly, cleared. She said, Ah, I understand you now. Well, there is that Mr. Lombard. He admits to having abandoned twenty men to their deaths. Vera said, They were only natives. Emily Brent said sharply, Black or white, they are our brothers. Vera thought, our black brothers, our black brothers. Oh, I'm going to laugh. I'm hysterical. I'm not myself. Emily Brent continued thoughtfully. Of course, some of the other accusations were very far-fetched and ridiculous. Against the judge, for instance, who was only doing his duty in his public capacity. And the ex-Scotland Yard man. My own case, too. She paused and then went on. Naturally, considering the circumstances, I was not going to say anything last night. It was not a fit subject to discuss before gentlemen. No. Vera listened with interest. Miss Brent continued serenely. Beatrice Taylor was in service with me. Not a nice girl, as I found out too late. I was very much deceived in her. She had nice manners and was very clean and willing. I was very pleased with her. Of course, all that was the sheerest hypocrisy. She was a loose girl with no morals. Disgusting. It was some time before I found out that she was what they call in trouble. She paused, her delicate nose wrinkling itself in distaste. It was a great shock to me. Her parents were decent folk, too, who had brought her up very strictly. I'm glad to say they did not condone her behavior. Vera said, staring at Miss Brent, what happened? Naturally, I did not keep her an hour under my roof. No one shall ever say that I condoned immorality. Vera said in a lower voice, what happened to her? Miss Brent said, The abandoned creature, not content with having one sin on her conscience, committed a still graver sin. She took her own life. Vera whispered, horror-struck. She killed herself. Yes. She threw herself into the river. Vera shivered. She stared at the calm, delicate profile of Miss Brent. She said, what did you feel like when you knew she'd done that? Weren't you sorry? Didn't you blame yourself? Emily Brent drew herself up. I? I had nothing with which to reproach myself. Vera said, but if your hardness drove her to it. Emily Brent said sharply, her own action, her own sin, that was what drove her to it. If she had behaved like a decent, modest young woman, none of this would have happened. She turned her face to Vera. 
There was no self-reproach, no uneasiness in those eyes. They were hard and self-righteous. Emily Brent sat on the summit of Solder Island, encased in her own armor of virtue. The little elderly spinster was no longer slightly ridiculous to Vera. Suddenly, she was terrible. Dr. Armstrong came out of the dining room and once more came out on the terrace. The judge was sitting in a chair now, gazing placidly out to sea. Lombard and Bloor were over to the left, smoking but not talking. As before, the doctor hesitated for a moment. His eye rested speculatively on Mr. Justice Wargrave. He wanted to consult with someone. He was conscious of the judge's acute logical brain, but nevertheless he wavered. Mr. Justice Wargrave might have a good brain, but he was an elderly man. At this juncture, Armstrong felt what was needed was a man of action. He made up his mind. Lombard, can I speak to you for a minute? Philip started. Of course. The two men left the terrace. They strolled down the slope towards the water. When they were out of earshot, Armstrong said, I want a consultation. Lombard's eyebrows went up. He said, my dear fellow, I have no medical knowledge. No, no, I mean as to the general situation. Oh, that's different. Armstrong said, frankly, what do you think of the position? Lombard reflected a minute. Then he said, it's rather suggestive, isn't it? What are your ideas on the subject of that woman? Do you accept Bloor's theory? Philip puffed smoke into the air. He said, it's perfectly feasible, taken alone. Exactly. Armstrong's tone sounded relieved. Philip Lombard was no fool. The latter went on, that is, accepting the premise that Mr. and Mrs. Rogers have successfully got away with murder in their time, and I don't see why they shouldn't. What do you think they did exactly? Poisoned the old lady. Armstrong said slowly, it might be simpler than that. I asked Rogers this morning what this Miss Brady had suffered from. His answer was enlightening. I don't need to go into medical details, but in a certain form of cardiac trouble, amyl nitrate is used. When an attack comes on, an ampoule of amyl nitrate is broken and it is inhaled. If amyl nitrate were withheld, well, the consequences might easily be fatal. Philip Lombard said thoughtfully, as simple as that. It must have been rather tempting. The doctor nodded. Yes, no positive action. No arsenic to obtain and administer. Nothing definite, just negation. And Rogers hurried through the night to fetch a doctor, and they both felt confident that no one could ever know. And even if anyone knew, nothing could ever be proved against them, added Philip Lombard. He frowned suddenly. Of course, that explains a good deal. Armstrong said, puzzled, I beg your pardon. Lombard said, I mean, it explains Soldier Island. There are crimes that cannot be brought home to their perpetrators. Instance, the Rogerses. Another instance, old Wargrave, who committed his murder strictly within the law. Armstrong said sharply, you believe that story? Philip Lombard smiled. Oh, yes, I believe it. Wargrave murdered Edward Seaton, all right. Murdered him as surely as if he'd stuck a stiletto through him. But he was clever enough to do it from the judge's seat in wig and gown. So, in the ordinary way, you can't bring his little crime home to him. 
A sudden flash passed like lightning through Armstrong's mind. Murder in hospital. Murder on the operating table. Safe, yes. Safe as houses. Philip Lombard was saying, hence Mr. Owen, hence Soldier Island. Armstrong drew a deep breath. Now we're getting down to it. What's the real purpose of getting us all here? Philip Lombard said, what do you think? Armstrong said abruptly, let's go back a minute to this woman's death. What are the possible theories? Rogers killed her because he was afraid she would give the show away. Second possibility, she lost her nerve and took an easy way out herself. Philip Lombard said, suicide, eh? What do you say to that? Lombard said, it could have been, yes, if it hadn't been for Marston's death. Two suicides within 12 hours is a little too much to swallow. And if you tell me that Anthony Marston, a young bull with no nerves and precious little brains, got the wind up over having mowed down a couple of kids and deliberately put himself out of the way, well, the idea is laughable. And anyway, how did he get hold of this stuff? From all I've ever heard, potassium cyanide isn't the kind of stuff you take about with you in your waistcoat pocket. But that's your line of country. Armstrong said, nobody in their senses carries potassium cyanide. It might be done by someone who was going to take a wasp's nest. The ardent gardener, or landowner, in fact. Again, not Anthony Marston. It strikes me that that cyanide is going to need a bit of explaining. Either Anthony Marston meant to do away with himself before he came here, and therefore came prepared, or else... Armstrong prompted him. Or else? Philip Lombard grinned. Why make me say it? When it's on the tip of your own tongue. Anthony Marston was murdered, of course. Dr. Armstrong drew a deep breath. And Mrs. Rogers? Lombard said slowly, I could believe in Anthony's suicide with difficulty if it weren't for Mrs. Rogers. I could believe in Mrs. Rogers' suicide easily if it weren't for Anthony Marston. I can believe that Rogers put his wife out of the way if it were not for the unexpected death of Anthony Marston. But what we need is a theory to explain two deaths following rapidly on each other. Armstrong said, I can perhaps give you some help towards that theory. And he repeated the facts that Rogers had given him about the disappearance of the two little China figures. Lombard said, yes, little China figures. There were certainly ten last night at dinner, and now there are eight, you say. Dr. Armstrong recited, Ten little soldier boys going out to dine. One went and choked himself, and then there were nine. Nine little soldier boys sat up very late. One overslept himself, and then there were eight. The two men looked at each other. Philip Lombard grinned and flung away his cigarette. Fits too damn well to be a coincidence. Anthony Marston dies of asphyxiation, or choking last night after dinner, and Mother Rogers oversleeps herself with a vengeance. And therefore, said Armstrong, Lombard took him up, and therefore, another kind of soldier, the unknown soldier, X, Mr. Owen, U.N. Owen, one unknown lunatic at large. Ah! Armstrong breathed a sigh of relief. You agree, but you see what it involves. Rogers swore that there was no one but ourselves and he and his wife on the island. Rogers is wrong, or possibly Rogers is lying. 
Armstrong shook his head. I don't think he's lying. The man's scared. He's scared nearly out of his senses. Philip Lombard nodded. He said, No motorboat this morning. That fits in. Mr. Owen's little arrangements again to the fore. Soldier Island is to be isolated until Mr. Owen has finished his job. Armstrong had gone pale. He said, You realize the man must be a raving maniac. Philip Lombard said, and there was a new ring in his voice. There's one thing Mr. Owen didn't realize. What's that? This island's more or less a bare rock. We shall make short work of searching it. We'll soon ferret out UN Owen Esquire. Dr. Armstrong said warningly, he'll be dangerous. Philip Lombard laughed. Dangerous? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? I'll be dangerous when I get hold of him. He paused and said, We'd better rope in Blore to help us. He'll be a good man in a pinch. Better not tell the women. As for the others, the general's gargar, I think, and old Wargrave's forte is masterly inactivity. The three of us can attend to this job. Okay. So. Now the plot thickens a little bit with Lombard and Armstrong coming in together and banding together and wanting to rope in Mr. Blore as well. So um, this all is starting to come into place a little bit more. We're starting to see some patterns here. Um, so we have not gotten to the next death, but uh, it is obviously coming. We are up to the um, the Devon part of the poem. So keep that in mind. I would have the poem out in front of you. I know you don't have the poems, the papers with you, but look it up or something. Uh, they keep keep track of this. Keep following, so it'll be easier for you to keep in mind who you think is going next and why, and who you think the killer is and why. Um, also, um, red herring is in this poem. Now, this might be a term you're familiar with, maybe not, but. A red herring is a misdirection, okay? So when you read the poem again, take uh, keep that in mind while you're reading it. So think about what red herring is. It's something that's incredibly commonly used in uh, a literary element that is commonly used in um, murder mysteries. Okay, so, uh, so yes. Keep that in mind. It's also a big part of the poem, so just uh, let that simmer a little bit. So, my brilliant young detectives, that I am leaving it up to you to decide and figure out who is the killer and who is going to be killed next. Okay? So, um, keep that in mind. I want the same questions. Tell me if your perspectives have changed any since Lombard and Armstrong have started talking. Um, give me any um, anything you have in regards to that. I want to know who you think the killer is and who you think is going to die next. I know not much has changed, but now that you know this about Philip Lombard and Dr. Armstrong and soon to be William Bloor, uh, keep that in mind as we go along. All right. 
So I will have those uh, questions hopefully posted to Classroom. But uh, get ready for that. And please make sure that you have everything posted by the end of today. All right. I will see you later.